podcast name played nobody slowest off season eh, eh, ever 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 this has been <sighs> bill i don't want to complain but no i mean i'm <laughs> fine with complaining i uh welcome back this podcast ain't played nobody. It's college football marriage of numbers and words. It's such a slow off season that I'm just going to go ahead and get the show intro out of the way. We didn't even have a salient opening thought. No bit. No opening salvo. Okay. But here we are. That's the robot Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C. My name is Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey. This is podcast ain't played nobody and there's nothing going on. Because how do I know that there's nothing going on? There is a, a bouquet of stupid, stupid conversations happening right now, which is just what we do. The media apparatus being the size that it is <laughs> to fill the gap. Would it be funny, Bill, if, if for like the six week span in the dead of the summer, college football media was just like, Hey, you know what? Everything's okay. Everything's fine. Relatively speaking, you know, let's, let's, Everything, talk, for let's, the most talk, part, about, let's talk about Oregon state football. Just how let's much just, do. Or just do the dumb ranking things or do the dumb, do the super dumb top line stuff like uh, how long is Nick Saban going to stay in Alabama? Like, fine. Totally fine. That's fine. I can zone that out. That's great. I can go about my business. I spend some time. Watch the World Cup. You've been watching the World Cup. It's great. Oh, Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Having a good time there. You know, shootouts and hanging, shootouts. Hanging out with my kids. My wife, by the way, finally got sucked into a shootout the other day uh, when Russia was involved. (laughs) She doesn't. Oh, the Croatia game. Yeah, she doesn't care about. And there was a second shootout. She was in the room for the Spain thing too, but didn't even notice apparently. Um, Mm -hmm. But she, yes, she she actually she doesn't care about U.S. national team. She doesn't care about soccer, but she really found herself rooting against Russia. (laughs) I don't have a way to understand because I'm a very I've limited soccer knowledge. When homeboy. sliced i'm not a golfer either so i can't use that terminology uh when he just missed the open kick he just it shot like hooked slice left i guess um right. very, very yeah in the shootout the, um everybody immediately started well at least in my my corner of the internet everyone started tweeting about um blair walsh formerly of the georgia bulldogs the yeah. minnesota vikings kicker that shanked it in the playoffs like i i don't know how you do that man it seems like a really easy thing to do do you think you could? Do you think you could um, kick against a goalie and and uh, score in a penalty or in a shootout situation? I had a friend. I had a friend. That in is like, so big. I had a friend in like junior high and high school. We'd go out and just kind of have our own little shootouts. And and uh, despite the fact that he was way better at actual soccer than me, I tended to do really well in those things. I think it's 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 the ultimate for overthinking. And it's amazing. Like even like Cristiano Ronaldo will go up there and he'll do that like hesitation kind of thing to see if the goalkeeper will commit. Um, if if you just if you aim for the upper corner and you hit your spot, you're you're never gonna miss. Like you know, the the keeper can't stop upper corner stuff. Um, right. But and I mean these professionals could hit that kick like in practice. You know we've seen those videos of like you know dudes like whoever it was Thierry Henry or whatever like hitting blindfolded hitting the goalpost from midfield and whatnot. Um, you know they can do that stuff. But that that mm-hmm. th- those environments. Like that is the most intense, nervous, like game scenario ever, other than maybe like taking free throws with no time left on the clock or whatever, or, or I guess field goals at the buzzer. Um, 
And like the, the, it's like people don't trust that they can just relax and hit their spot like that. And so they make things way more difficult. We've seen so many terrible penalty kicks uh, in these shootouts in the, in the uh, knockout rounds. And the dude who just, who shanked it left, I'm pretty sure that was basically him trying to fake right and then kick it left, like, like a no look kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it worked technically because the goal, the keeper jumped the other way. Um, but he also just completely dribbled the ball right out of bounds. The one, the first one there where, he, where the dude not only doesn't really kick it with the direction, but it just scoots it along the ground to where the injured goalkeeper almost over jumps and misses it. Um, that was, that was the worst penalty. I think that was the most nervous kick I've ever seen. Watching the world cup. I want two things. I want hockey to have a bigger goal. Um, <laughs> Cause I, I am very much in favor of eight to six hockey games. Um, I also think I should be bigger Olympic style for, and also the goal should be bigger because it's okay. fun to watch goals. Wow. Okay, and then also, I want, I want the field goals. I want field goals to be harder. Maybe we take the goalposts and we narrow them. Thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, this wasn't field goals, but obviously, pro football did the you know back up the extra point thing, and I think it was funny watching the reaction to that. As everybody at first was like, "Well, that's that makes sense. It's you know this shouldn't be a given. You shouldn't make it ninety nine percent." But then the first time you see like a game almost college kickered uh, and and a, you know a missed PAT playing a key role, it, it was funny watching the reaction. A lot of people were basically like, "Uh, no, never mind. I don't want that deciding a game." And kind of, I think they should go back further. I also think college should go back further, and I think that they should narrow the goalposts by a couple yards. I see. At some point, though, it's kind of like um, it's why I end up kind of being okay with kick uh, the idea of kickoffs going away. Like at some point, I like the, the I like the the major components of the game deciding the game. Uh, not necessarily this one dude who's been sitting on the sideline for the last 35 minutes, uh, not yes. having anything to do, coming onto the field and suddenly winning or losing the game that you know all these other guys have set up like that kind of, I, I feel like I've seen enough kicker torture stories already. And so this would only create more, it would be more dramatic and exciting. Uh, but I have, I think I have too much empathy. I think I would just feel too bad for the guys who missed the kicks. But this is my point, Bill. I think that we should focus on the, the sum of, of the task, which is to score a touchdown uh, in hockey, it's to score a goal, obviously. There's no alternate way of doing that. Same with soccer. I want more goals in soccer. Can we make that thing even bigger? How do we do that? <laughs> I don't know. Bill, do you know what this little little tete-a-tete back and forth was? It was an example of a good way to kill time in the offseason. Bill, do you know what a bad example of a way to kill time in the offseason is? Yes, yes. I can. Anything to do with Lincoln Riley. I don't care what he said about Georgia. I don't care what Georgia's record would be in the Big 12. I don't care. Well, the funny part is it wasn't even about what their record would be because he never actually said anything about them being a, a bad team. <laughs> That was that was the worst part is like we turned it into a referendum on Georgia or the SEC quality when it was just talking about style the whole time. How did this happen? It happened the same way that, you know, we spent a chunk of our last show uh, with me ranting about Mike Holder and Mike Gundy and, and pretending that that's a thing that we have to care about now. Um, I felt like that was a slightly more organic growth. That was this one specifically. Take me back because I did. I did really try and remove myself from from work ask my editors but 
also from Twitter and everything else. Explain to me how this happened exactly. Which one? The the Lincoln-Riley thing or the – Yes, Lincoln-Riley okay. okay. versus Georgia versus okay. stupid SEC versus stupid Texas, stupid, stupid, stupid. So we just ranted about how stupid this is and now we're going to talk about it. Uh, here's here, – I just pulled up the, the transcript. Yeah, because I, it's, a, it's like a preventative measure. I want to know how that guy got a tapeworm. Well, and actually so – I don't need, So I don't get a tapeworm. And, and this is fair to do this because this is going to be a, a topic at the SEC Media Days next week and I'm already super mad about it. So, all right, here's the transcript. Um, Danny, he, well, first, first mistake was Lincoln Riley went on Danny Cannell's show, but that's another story. Uh, so here's what Cannell says. The perception around the big 12, and this drives me nuts. And I'm sure you, it does you too, is that there isn't much defense played because you see shootouts, you see big numbers. I've, I've been a long proponent saying, look at these offenses, which are innovative, stretching the field like nobody else does in the country, uh, is good defense. Should that have a different kind of perception? Should the way you determine good defense be different in the Big 12 because of the offenses you're facing? Now, before I get to Lincoln Riley's answer, let me say kudos, Danny Cannell, for being an advanced stats proponent and not knowing it. Um, because, uh, duh, when you adjust for opponent and tempo, you get something like S&P Plus. So, so kudos. Welcome to the bandwagon, Danny Cannell. Can I ask a question real fast? Yes. This is not a shtick. This is not a joke for the podcast. Okay. What show does Danny Cannell have? I thought he got canned by ESPN. He does, but there's always let's see. Uh, is it, does he have a radio me, show in Google Florida? Tells me Sirius XM. Yeah. yeah. So okay. there you go. Um, here's Lincoln Riley's answer. Friends with half of those people. Here's Lincoln Riley's answer. <sighs> It's hard to quantify that because what's different here is you're facing those offenses every single week. You don't, you just don't have that in any other league. It's not that you don't have good offenses in other leagues. Of course you do. Uh, You just don't have the consistency and the challenge that you do week in and week out in this league. The Rose bowl is a perfect example. Nobody all year could move the ball on Georgia. And we had a pretty nice run of in that game offensively. A lot of people had trouble moving the ball against Ohio state last year. Uh, You've seen that a lot in non-conference games and these matchups, all of a sudden, a lot of these really good defenses that everybody thinks are, or this or that are giving up a lot of points to these big 12 teams. It's a challenge. Uh, we did have some excellent defenses in the league last year. Iowa state TCU are some of the top ranked defenses, no doubt, by the way, kudos to him for, for maintaining the rivalry and not mentioning Texas, uh, who was in that same easily in that same ballpark with Iowa state and TCU. Uh, anyway, uh, but you go through Georgia's defense, which was a top five ranked defense going into the Rose bowl. I assume that was total defense. Uh, or scoring defense, either one. Uh, you go throw them in the Big 12 every year, they're not going to be a top five defense. It's just probably not going to happen. The challenges that you face, the style of offenses that you face is definitely a little bit different. Um, so there was a quality aspect to that in that he basically said offenses are really good. But the bottom line is, you, of course, you aren't going to be, if you're using scoring defense or, to, or, or total yardage, you aren't going to have a top five defense in the Big 12 because quality aside in the big 12 you have teams that run more plays try to uh, maximize the number of possessions and are willing to do those things uh in in even if it puts their defense in awkward situations basically only kansas state doesn't Uh, well kansas who knows what they would really like to do but they stink at it but iowa state uh you know is is a little bit in between but you know oklahoma state tcu west virginia texas tech oklahoma like over half the conference has teams that are willing to put their defenses in bad situations if it means scoring points because they know they can score more points than you so of course if georgia played a big 12 schedule a they'd probably go undefeated maybe they'd lose in norman uh 
and B, they wouldn't have a top five defense. So he didn't say anything. This was not an indictment about Georgia's overall quality. It wasn't uh, sour grapes as one of the, like, um, as I saw like a really good blogger put it, um, it, this, it, this was just a factual big 12 has offenses. Therefore big 12, you're not going to have, you're going to give up yards and points in the big 12 and the end that's, that's it. Except now we have turned this into sour grapes. We've turned this into people suddenly spinning around to talk about how bad Oklahoma's defense was, which is just weird, but it, this really was just like, we have to fight about something at all times and there was nothing better to fight about. So we're fighting about this. It did, I'm I could be mistaken here. I'm not a stats person. Didn't these teams play each other? Yes. Yeah. What happened in that game, Bill? Oklahoma uh scored a lot of points and had a lot of yards yeah. and Georgia had yeah. uh let's see. What was the final yard total yardage was Oklahoma 531, Georgia 527. Right. And and doesn't And the game went into double overtime. Uh-huh. Yeah, basically a last possession game, right? And everyone ran up and down the field. And it really was maybe a play or a breakaway from the other team winning without really taking anything away from the other team. Yes. It was also the best game of the year. Okay. So doesn't that sound like a big 12 game? I hate everybody. (laughs) But again, but again, how did this get so stupid? Because we haven't had anything real to yell about. And and that's good. That's good. Because a lot of the real things we have to yell about are bad yeah. and we don't want to yell about them. We just have to yell about them. This is like, this is a, a screaming into a void and the void just happens to be a, like Riley, apparently. Oh God. And don't even get me started about fireworks, by the way. Well, yeah, you know what really grinds my wow, old man on his lawn. Um, you mentioned SEC media days. They're going to have to fill the void. Um, because there mm-hmm. has not, they're going to fill it with this. Guy. There has not been a hot button issue. Uh, as far as I know, Hugh freeze nor Houston nut will come in to, to do any sort of, um, Monday night raw, sh- you know, live shenanigans. Um, no dusty finish for those of you who get that joke. Uh, it's going to be pretty boring. It might be even more boring bill because we'll just go ahead and switch into our new segment where BAPN covers the media. <laughs> Paul Feinbaum might not be there. What's going on with this? Paul Feinbaum? Yeah, first first of all, I'll believe it when I see it. I, this was a big this this is a big little shenanigan thing where he can threaten to leave and then ESPN gives him a new deal and as far as we know it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um in fact, the, the last uh, I can't even pretend to care about this, but the last thing I saw about it, let's see, what was the very last story we saw? Um, Let me take you back. Uh, I think probably the biggest story there for a little while within this window um, was on June 28th by former Deadspin blogger uh, Clay Travis. Um, Essentially basically breaks down the fact that uh, there's a a stir between ESPN and the SEC. There's some frustration there. Um, Obviously, ESPN and SEC are partners on the SEC network. And then Feinbaum is unsigned as everything heads into next month, which would be this month and which would be SEC media days in Hoover, Alabama next week. Uh, P.S. Don't go. Don't watch it. Um, 
I'll just go ahead and read. Uh, Again, former Deadspin blogger Clay Travis says, due to what multiple sources have described as incompetence bordering on malfeasance, I'm sure, ESPN has so bungled its negotiations with the SEC Network and ESPN commentator that Feinbaum is seriously contemplating offers elsewhere and has let ESPN know. Let me just hit pause for a second. Uh, On Thursday... Uh, the uh, the sport uh, Michael McCarthy of the Sporting News mm-hmm. uh, says I'm hearing he probably is still going to resign with the ESPN. Anyway, go ahead. No, of course, of course. Malfeasance. Um, now see, now you're screaming. Uh, so, according to sources, uh, again, this is former Deadspin blogger Clay Travis uh, Feinbaum, who declined to comment to outkick the coverage. dot com, such a witty name, was told in October of last year that by then President ESPN John Skipper not to worry about his what blah 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 blah. Uh, nine months later, limited contact. Okay, here's the deal. Um, hmm. Going to walk a thin line here, Bill. Real thin line. Posturing. Okay. Really thin line here. Um, I can tell you the following. Um, there is some frustration uh, in the various camps. There is some frustration, uh, and the camps being, by the way, I should outline this. So ESPN has a great partnership with the SEC and ESPN's eyes because really live events are sort of the, the, the lifeblood to keep any cable network, but especially the most expensive cable network in America, going. And nothing really proves to be stronger than the SEC. I'm not trying to get into a, a conversation about the Pac-12 network or any other conference or whatever or the rumors that the SEC is mad that the ACC is getting its own network via ESPN, which – I find to be, at least at this stage, very dubious. I wouldn't put a lot of merit in that because because the SEC just really has no reason to worry. Um, It's all about the content provided thereof and the passion of the consumer. And I think I I don't even think the most stalwart Clemson or Florida State fan would tell you that the ACC sort of soup to nuts is going to match that kind of like brand identity that the that the SEC has. Fair to say? Yeah, I think so. There uh, is some frustration on the SEC side. Because what the SEC um, envisioned their network to be was sort of a latchkey operation with with ESPN doing all of the lifting, the SEC getting a check. But then at any point in time that Birmingham wants to have a say-so or a control or, or kind of dictate the, the tenor or the tone of anything that, anything that airs on that network that is not an actual live event, right? Anything with a narrative structure, anything with an editorial bent to it that they would have total control okay you staying with me here everything good that has not proven to be the case and and, and really when you boil down there's there's not really a, a vast amount of offerings on the sec network bill when was the last time you turned on the sec network uh whenever there was an sec classic football game that wasn't like a spring game or some mediocre game from right. last year so it's been a while no, but, not, so not, not a regular pattern of your viewership because you are terrestrial no. you, you still have this straight up og cable box i mean you are it, although technically we don't we don't use it we're basically watching hulu and netflix at all times now but anyway okay so it's fair to say it's not even fair it's accurate to say that Really, the only window of time on the SEC network that isn't completely controlled by the league or just dictated by the fact that, hey, there's sports on or they've got their kind of like mini sports center apparatus. I think it's called SEC Now or SEC Today. I don't know. And then they have sure. their fake game day, which Fine Bomb's a part of. So the Fine Bomb show is sort of the only space in which anything can get remotely off of the agenda, uh, which I would argue would it's also the only time where anything can get remotely interesting. Uh, as far as SEC network programming goes. The rest to me is just sort of pap. Um, Feinbaum, 
for those of you listening to this in like a what 13 14 state region under uh, you at least know Paul Feinbaum from the Alabama Auburn rivalry initially and then maybe some of you go all the way back to listening to the Jock sh- Jock show in fact you had to be from the south because it used to be a major feature on every day should be saturday where Spencer and Holly and Ryan would put up a live link on a particular salty day in the news cycle. Uh, People would listen to the jock show WJOX in Birmingham and Feinbaum had a very, very, very different show back then. Um, It was raw. It was nasty. It was critical. He would go hard on individuals. Everybody thinks how first off, everybody thinks Paul Feinbaum's an Alabama Homer. Paul Feinbaum became of this media entity because he used to just, demoralize and harass the university of alabama throughout their their various bungling really everything from like gene stallings to nick saban which is a pretty substantial amount of time he was he was sort of the enemy of the state there for a long time and he would have tuberville on when auburn was at its peak and just kind of like poke the bear sorry oh wow didn't really really walk into that pun but i'm (laughs) I'm pretty proud of it now That's, that's why you're a professional thank you um Paul Feinbaum's show, since he has gone to the SEC network, is neutered. It is antiseptic. It is clean. And uh, the word that comes to mind for me, having come into sports media, sort of knowing and understanding Paul to be a, a, a particular kind of brand, it's just weird. You know, Paul was this ringmaster who was was just minimalist in his involvement in his own show, and it was genius. He figured out he could only afford himself so much bluster, and he could only maintain so much of that. It's one of the things that so many of these modern media personalities fail to understand, which is like like a Callan uh, – Callan. Actually, that's, that's the J-Lo name, Colin Coward. Just call him Callan. Um, it's all driven directly by the hosts, like the, the takes and the controversy. And all that. Whereas like Paul Feinbaum – figured out how to just tweak the right people into coming on and becoming characters and arguing multiple points of view. And he just kind of learned to orchestrate it. And so he was very, he was ever present as a conductor is, but also never really the feature. And it was genius. It's, it, it, the show back in the jocks days was fantastic to listen to. The show on SEC network is not my cup of coffee. Now, Bill, you've been on the show before on the SEC network. I've been on multiple times. Um, I'm not on there anymore. I can't tell you why. <laughs> um, I, I actually cannot tell you why right now out of loyalty. One can deduce. We'll just say that. Yeah, one can. Exactly. I think it's pretty easy. If if you listened and, and you can pick up the context clues of everything I said, um, you can probably understand why I'm not on that show anymore, why SB Nation isn't on that show as much. Um, and, and also not just me, a lot of people um, that might not have the most uh, – flattering opinion of the of the southeastern conference or 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 right sort of boring fawning predictable you know um content so uh Feinbaum is a really smart guy this is the last thing i'll say before we move on paul understands his value and paul understands that he has to have certain ingredients and a certain style of kitchen to cook that signature dish and he doesn't have it right now now a couple days ago, a rumor emerges, as it does, and I don't really even understand where it started. I didn't bother to look. That Feinbaum and his reps had been contacted by the the Fox Big Ten Network Consortium. I I can barely finish the sentence. Like that's not gonna happen, y'all. Um, 
you know, as, as a lot of people immediately pointed out, he literally wrote a book in conjunction with his move to the SEC network called My Conference Can Beat Your Conference. And guess what? My conference means SEC and your conference means Big Ten. Okay, let's not make let's let's not beat around the bush there. All right. It's it's very much specifically a missive at everything that the Big Ten isn't in the eyes of the SEC. Right. Athletic, passionate, beautiful, warm, happy, like all every stereotype piled on. Right. All of the crap that Big Ten fans have had to endure for the past decade plus as the SEC has turned into this sort of like living cult brand. All right. Which, by the way, SEC graduate, Bill, sort of a backdoor SEC graduate. Yeah. <laughs> like I, neither one of us, nor does this program subscribe to any of that shit. So um I, I, there's no way that Paul Feinbaum ends up on the Big Ten Network. I would be gobsmacked. Although I would watch the yeah. hell out of that show for about two weeks. I, I was about to say not, not for long. Um, no, there. I mean, my, I had two reactions with the Big Ten thing when it, when that popped up. Number one, you can't tease us with that and then not actually bring it to reality because God. it's just too hilarious. Paul Feinbaum live from t- West Lafayette. And number two, of course, he's not going to do that. That was when, like, they gave the posturing game away. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, like, it was always posturing. And this is just what happens with contract negotiations. This is what happens in, 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 when, the, it, you know, a major player's contract is up in the pros. This is just how it works. Like, we, we go through this little dance where we say mean things about each other that we don't usually say, but this is the one time we have, like, a window to say them. And then we get our contract, and everybody's happy again, and everybody moves on. And, and so this is, this is what this is. And he's probably going to get his stupid contract, even though we got teased with this thing. And even though I, I can certainly – for my own watching preferences, I would love to be able to like, if it's middle, middle of the afternoon and I'm tired and I, I'd rather just like zone out, I'm going to, I'm not going to turn on fine bomb, but I'll turn on like a, a random sec LSU sec game from like 1987. Right. I'll turn on the earthquake game. Like I'll watch the hell out of that, but I'm not going to like, so it, it would have benefited my viewing options for him to leave. But of course he's not going to leave. There was a point in time and you can argue with me on this. There was a point in time where fine bombs, a non sec network show when he was on jocks, when he was syndicated across the South set the table and was as much of an agenda driver as game day was. Okay. I truly believe that because I have to believe, I have to believe you. I cannot, I, I never listened. So. He was, and to me, I respect the hell out of the man because if you ever talk to him in person, he's far, far more intelligent than I think even he wants you to know. I think it's a little bit of playing a character. And I also think that just because the man dabbles in dirt and, and sort of the lowest common denominator to make his substantial paycheck. And by the way, get your money. Like I have no issue with that whatsoever. People tend to think that he's some sort of simpleton. He is not. He knows exactly what he's doing. But also, if you go back in time, and those of you who are listening who really go back with that show, he's sort of a progressive in the idea of, in, in college football on, on a lot of fronts. I'm not saying the man's perfect or anything, but he can nudge along particular things that need to happen um, if he wants to in a certain moment. And so uh, I think that ultimately he's going to end up back at, at the SEC Network. Ultimately, um, I think he's going to be doing the same show, whatever. I'm sure he'll be in Hoover next week. Um, but I think it sucks because he, if you take, the, if you take the leash off of him, which is something the SEC is never going to do. 
but if you take the leash off of them, I think you can get back to having a forum that truly represents the madness. Because the thing that really is a very, very bitter pill for me is this whole it just means more slogan and mantra and marketing deck where you you took that you took fanaticism in its purest form in American sports. Like that's our argument, right, Bill? That college football and the culture and the fandom are better and stronger, more potent, and more insane, more negative and more positive than any other sport in America, right? That's what you and I believe, correct? I mean, that's that's the sure, yeah. I, I I don't know if I believe it as much now that I've gotten more immersed in other sports, but yes, that's the idea. Okay. Uh, the SEC wants to round off the edges. They always have, right? Um, oh, yeah. There's a man, there was a doctor in Kentucky that um, uh, branded a woman's uterus with the UK logo one time during surgery. Uh, everyone wants to talk about Harvey Updike. There is batshit craziness in this sport everywhere. Every program. I think Harvey Updike, by the way, is who, like, once that happened, like, that was it. it like, the, the brand was set. Yeah. And so now, you know, Feinbaum goes over and never has to actually go. Th- do that anymore because everybody knows i don't know maybe the whole gimmick went beyond the pale maybe i'm looking at it the wrong way i don't know um anyways uh i wish the best for paul um you know if the sec would lighten up it would be better for every party involved because i think the ratings would i think the ratings which is very hard to do in this in this landscape to have a basic cable ratings go up for non-live event programming i think they would I think the community would come back and I think the, the cachet would return to that program. But uh, I don't think any of that's going to happen. The weirdest thing about the SEC is that for the really bar none leader in terms of things like revenue and quality of play and all that stuff that we measure the SEC by, right? it's pretty hard to say they're not number one. But for for being the leader, they sure are paranoid. And they they as an elephant often are, are terrified of particular mice walking by. And I've never understood that mentality. Um, they're, they're tighter assed, they're less creative, they're less thoughtful than any of the other conferences. And I've never understood why I don't get it, but I guess you don't really have to iterate and you don't have to innovate. Um, if you are setting the bar just by virtue of the fact of your own consumers, it's kind of the way it works. It's kind of sad. Ah, Bill. Speaking of the Big Ten, yeah, that doesn't, really, smooth, that doesn't really work. Smooth transition. So Paul Feinbaum is not going to the Big Ten. Do you know who is going to the Big Ten? <laughs> Bill Connolly's team rankings. Man, that was that was terrible. Sorry, I tried um, to get off of the mic to scream. This is what this is what happens when we actually try to set an agenda for the show. It just doesn't work. <laughs> but anyway, yes, uh, I finished the Big Ten today. Uh, well, I finished the the last preview yesterday. Put up my power rankings as of this morning. Uh, you ready for the breakdown? Everybody has completely agreed with everything I've said. It's pretty cool. Um, That's amazing. All right. Uh, you got four tiers. I got four We're going to do the tiers real fast. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to run through the entire conference. And then I'll start asking you questions as someone who basically skimmed their homework a minute before the quiz. You ready? Sure. sure. Yeah. Tier four all by themselves. You're fighting a lion eye the University of Illinois. Absolutely no argument from anybody there whatsoever. No talent. Um, tier three. 9 through 13. Number 13, Minnesota. Wow. That's a little lower than I expected, but it does make sense. Uh, Mainly because number 12 is Rutgers. Number 11, Nebraska. Seems Honestly, if you're a Nebraska fan, you want that to be as low as humanly possible to best show the trajectory and the sheer God-given Cornhusker power of the native sun. Number 10, Maryland. Whatever. Number 9, Indiana. Okay, cool. Uh, Tier 2. 
uh, the first thing I'm doing is thinking about uh, this is what I do every time we do this segment. I'm going to sit there and pick apart exactly why you split your tiers the way you do, but we'll get there in a second. Tier two, number eight, the Boilermakers of West Lafayette. Number seven, Northwestern. Of course, they're just always there. Uh, number six, Iowa. All right, that's tier two. There's another cutoff. Tier one, man, this is the most predictable ranking of any of the P5s that you've done so far, my man. Number five, Michigan State. Number four, Penn State. Number three, Michigan. Number two, Wisconsin. Maybe a little bit higher than I expected. And then number one, Ohio State. I mean, that is no offense to you in the numbers. Sometimes when you're right, you're right. And sometimes the obvious is just that. Um, this this bad boy's paint by numbers. Well, and, and those are numbers. Just to that, those are my own opinions. The numbers have Penn State second. So you know, <laughs> but when I, so but when you do these, you you still when you break the when you break out these power rankings, it's not exactly it's not just the S and P, right? Because the tiers it's not, are, it's it, not the S and P at all. It's basically right. like I've written two thousand words about this team, so here's where I think they fall. So the, how much? Did, uh, this is a good question that I've never even asked you in this long college football marriage. How much do your own numbers influence your editorial decision? Whereas I will. T- pull something out of my ass uh with not near the amount of statistical uh, analysis that you've created but when well, you when you when you differentiate or when you when you go off of or sometimes against your own numbers how much are those numbers factoring in the decision i think basically the way i try to formulate opinions at this point i just said it has nothing to do with numbers that's not totally true uh, the way i formulate opinions at this point is start with the numbers and then figure out where to vary so like um What's a good example? Purdue is uh, probably the best example here. Purdue, based on the the numbers as a whole, had them as just about top 40 last year. But the way the projections are set up, recruiting matters, five-year history matters, and returning production matters. Well, A, Mm -hmm. they they lose a lot from their defense, so the returning production numbers are only decent. B, they stunk under Daryl Hazel, so their five-year history is is not good. It's it's weighted mostly for, you know, last year weighs the most heavily, but anything from a previous year is going to drag them down. Uh, and, and, you know, it's Purdue. They're never, even when they're good, their recruiting is not going to be very good. So, um, so, you know, on a, from a projection standpoint, they're projected to go five and seven this year. Um, not great, but then I can kind of add my own context to that being that I've done this a while. I know that, you know, things like, you know, whether we want to take in, this isn't a very good example but Jeff Brom teams don't tend to stink offensively very long so I and they return almost everybody offensively so I think this is going to flip around even if their defense struggles their offense is going to improve enough to offset it so I see them as more of a top 40 team uh and and you just sort of pick up on things where the numbers have been wrong before or where you just feel in your gut that things are a little different and you you bump them higher um and so but with the top tier of the big 10, I had no idea. Like, first of all, I almost just put Ohio state in its own tier. Cause the whole, the whole, my whole Ohio state preview was just basically going position to position and going, damn, mm-hmm. you know, like they're, they're absurd. They are absurdly loaded. Um, and so I, I almost just put them in tier one and had two through five as tier two. But what I wanted to do was kind of test myself a little bit. And I went old school in the power rankings thing where I basically, I did the old rank them by position unit thing. Um, and like, I, 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 the way I set that up, like I ended up having Wisconsin actually a lot closer to Ohio state than I thought I had out of these five teams. I had Wisconsin as the second best quarterback situation, which I realized people will push back on. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm I'm in the front car of the Alex. I don't know how I got here, but I'm in the front car of the Alex Hornibrook bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, that's life. But I had them second at running back behind Ohio State, second at receiver behind Ohio State because they're they, somehow Wisconsin has like the most proven freaking passing game in the league. Just about. I have them first in offensive line. Fourth and defensive line, second and linebackers behind Michigan, uh, fifth and defensive backfield, and then third in special teams. You add all that up, and you almost have them equal to Ohio State. So I went ahead and I used that as an excuse to just cram them there. Michigan, Penn State, and Michigan State were all pretty close together after that. Um, but it is, man, uh, if Wisconsin had a slightly more friendly schedule, and I realize everybody always thinks that Wisconsin's schedule is terrible and easy, and so it's weird to say that. But they play, I think, at Penn State, at Michigan, and then at like their top three Big Ten West mm-hmm. rivals this year. I think that's too much. Like they, I think on, if they had last year's schedule this year, they would be be twelve and zero again. But I don't think they're going to be able to put together a CFP level. Let record me tell you something year. about the Big Ten West. I'm gonna go ahead and say it right now. Make some bold declarations. Now, this is not. I do want to ask you more questions about Wisconsin because I do owe you and the listenership my stupid predictions that we have to put the time capsule in and then open up in January and see how wrong I am. I'm tempt, I'm playing around with Wisconsin in terms of a declarative statement. Um, but <clears throat> the Big Ten West is the new cul-de-sac. I think the ACC, they came in, they, they refurbed a couple homes, got Surf Pro in there, got the fire and flood damage out. I think I think we were right in calling the ACC is the you know the new upper middle class cul-de-sac. It's coming to the Big Ten West. Now it's always going to be lopsided, always, but it's not about evening it out unless you're moving unless you're realigning teams. It's never going to be about that. But I do think closing the gap is. I think they're going to start to close the gap this year. Maybe not in as discernible way, but I think over the next two to three seasons, I think that it becomes less of a punchline. How's that? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you make a lot of good hires. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like that's I mean, Illinois, I, I mean, until the talent level improves, I just don't see it. But after that, oh, no, I mean, no, no, you no, think about the other teams. just for clarity, my, yeah, this whole closing the gap doesn't involve Illinois. Yeah. But if you're looking at last year's S&P rankings, the, the sixth team in the West was Nebraska. And I mean, I even though I've taken expectations completely off the table this year, I think Scott Frost is a badass, and I think he's going to have them really good soon. The next team on the list was Minnesota. Uh, I'm still not completely clear about when they're going to break. Like, like, I mean, PJ Flex is going to recruit about as well as you can recruit there, uh, and I think he's going to build a nice identity there. He's got a he's going to have a brand new quarterback this year. That's probably going to hold them back, but they still could take a step forward and take another step forward next year. Uh, the next team on the list was Iowa and Northwestern. Those were the next two. They're going to be Iowa and Northwestern, very varying degrees of Iowa and Northwestern. And I actually think Iowa is going to be pretty good. Purdue is like uh, again, pretty good I don't or see Iowa them. good. Say that again. Pretty good or Iowa good for Iowa. Uh, well, good for Iowa. Okay. Uh, so like top 25 to 30 instead of top 35 to 40, basically. Um, but Purdue made a great hire last year and I think has, has at least absolved themselves of being the dregs of the conference. You know, they're going to be top 40 program. And so like suddenly you have one terrible program in Illinois and everybody else is somewhere between pretty good and Wisconsin. And that's a good division right there. And then for the big 10 as a whole, like I, I, I mentioned this, I think in the power rankings themselves, but like, 
the the argument has always been like you know in recent years uh, there's a big argument for the Big Ten being the strongest conference now, which is fine. Uh, I don't see it because they've had about five terrible teams each year, and that drags down whatever you accomplish at the top. You know, if if you went team versus team, like SEC versus Big Ten or ACC versus Big Ten, Big Ten would probably have piled up a bunch of losses at the bottom before they even got to the to take advantage of the top part, but. All those West teams are improving except Illinois. Maryland last year, if their quarterbacks would stop exploding for once, they have two very exciting uh, quarterbacks, and they could be exciting this year. Probably still stink on defense, but they'll be fun. Rutgers will still stink on offense, but will have a rock-solid defense that could make them at least like a top-60 team. And so, like, suddenly you've really only got, theoretically, you've only got one terrible team right now. And that's how you, like, that, that's how you bump up your averages. You're not, you're not, the, you're not dragged down by the, how bad your bottom teams are. You have a really good conference all of a sudden. Why do I think that of the two idiot annexations for television markets that we always thought Rutgers would be the worst, but I feel like Maryland's trying to be worse. Yeah. I mean, they were the same thing. And Maryland's, well, not not always as good as they're supposed to be in basketball, but they're good at basketball. Um, of the Power Five rankings that you've done so far, and we've done, we've broken each down on the show, Big 12, Pac-12. Um, fairly chalky is safe to say. So, so in the Big 12, you had a solo tier for Oklahoma, which I totally agree with. And then Tier 2 ran all the way from 2 to 6. But you had, you, you had a TCU-Oklahoma Big 12 championship, essentially. Um, right. Feels right. Feels pretty agreeable. Right. Um, Pac-12. Yeah, I've been very boring. Like, yeah, yeah, that's... Well, yeah. Yeah. Don't steal my thesis. So Pac-12, basically the same thing. If you had to create a Pac-12 championship out of your uh, out of your rankings in tier one, you had uh, Washington, USC, Stanford and Oregon in that order. You would have Washington and USC. Totally. Like, it, it, like if, I had to, but if I had to go to Vegas right now. And put money on who's in the game and wherever the hell that thing is, Levi's this year. Uh, those are the two teams, right? Chalk, okay? Uh, even with all that being said, if I had to stake the life of a child um, on one of your predictions, I think the chalkiest, most reliable prediction that you could have in college football right now, if you're trying to create a conference championship game in July, has to be this one. Wisconsin, for everything, every plot it, we just tried to... I wouldn't say give, maybe plant for the future and grow that division. Wisconsin's going to be totally fine. All right. Ohio State is, this isn't even super disguised Michigan jab. It's just the reality of having the deeper program, having the more talented program, having the better recruiting program. They are going to be Ohio State this year. I think people are trying to bend Ohio State to fit a Michigan narrative because. It's been a certain amount of time for Harbaugh where people are just expecting something to happen that when you look at the two rosters doesn't make sense. So I think Ohio State is as much of a lock as Wisconsin is in the West. Yeah, and well, no, I can't quite co-sign to that because I think Wisconsin still got an easier path. But I will say those road games open the door for uh, on the Wisconsin yeah. side. Um because if they lose to Michigan, uh, you could be a very good team and lose on the road to Michigan and Penn State. Uh, you lose those two games, and you drop 
any of those road games. And, and I mean, even they were awesome last year and they still flirted with, you know, screwing up against Purdue and Wisconsin or Purdue and Northwestern. So if they lose one of those games, they could still win the West at six and three, but it's a, a lot of mediocre teams can creep up and, and manage six and three with some I guess close wins. that bullish on Ohio so, state, because even, even as I say that, um, I just feel yeah. that certain about Ohio state. I understand that. I understand the, the whopping difference. Uh, your tier one is five teams. The only Western division team is Wisconsin. You literally go through almost an entire division before you get to the second best team in the West in Iowa at number six. So I get it. But at the same time, it just feels that inevitable. Sorry. I feel like I'm, I'm sort of cutting all the suspense out of this upcoming season, but I, who knows? Maybe you'll throw, do something funny uh, with the ACC. All right. Do something cool. Uh, I, I make no promise. Actually, I was going to say I make no promises. It is <laughs> funky. It is funky. Let's put it that way. I mean, Cle- you know, spoiler, Clemson's probably going to win their division, but a lot, of, a lot of weirdness otherwise in that conference. So this one should be pretty fun to talk about. That one's probably going to have the most intrigue, I would have to say. I mean, I mean, they're la- their worst and team and last the SEC, year. So you're pretty much not going to have, I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, the ACC could get weird because, I mean, the, I've previewed one team so far. There was, you know, we go in order of, of how bad you were last year. So North Carolina came up first. There, so last year's worst ACC team could go about eight and four yeah. this year. Um, but, so that, that sets the table nice. You break it down this way. And if you treat the conference championships like a playing game, and I'm not that focused on them, I'm just, it's sort of a convenient device in which to discuss your power rankings. The only real suspense is who Clemson's going to beat the crap out of. And then who's going to try and who's going to try and kind of keep pace as a distant second with Oklahoma in the big 12. That's it. And I like TCU okay. there a lot. And so I agree with you as far as the ACC goes, Hey, I, I, I don't know. This isn't my job. It's your job. I think, th- I think it's going to be predictable and I'm going to end up having a re a Clemson Miami rematch, but we'll see. I, I reserve the right to talk myself into something different. Ooh, I hope so. Bill. But we have questions. When we do this whole uh, hashtag #AskPAPN, which is the premier way to get to your question asked and read and answered, probably on the air. I would uh, most definitely suggest that you and I start soliciting the night before, because holy crap, we got a ton yeah. of questions to get to. We got a ton, and I'm just going to start <laughs> at random with Mr. Doug Zerjal at Doug Zerjal. Ask PAPN what. Uh, does West Virginia have a legitimate shot at the playoff? They'll likely be favored in the first eight games. Stretch run is tough, but 12 and one with a conference title is possible. Uh, yeah, Doug, you go 12 and one and you win your conference championship. You're in the playoff. Fair to say. Uh, hold on a second. I'm pulling up their schedule. I got I Tennessee. That's all you got to know. Yeah. That didn't tell so me much. About, big, that doesn't tell me about eight games, but hold on. All right. So their first big 12 round Robin, you got Tennessee oh, whoa, at a neutral whoa, whoa. site. Okay. Hold on. Um, their first eight games, I have them favored in five, not eight. Uh, they're not going oh, to oh, be favored oh. at NC State. Uh, at whoa, 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 hang on. You don't think they'll be favored at NC State? I, 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 why would they be favored at NC State? Why wouldn't they? Because NC, NC State, State, NC State's going to go into that game having played James Madison and Georgia State. So they'll be okay. two, so they'll be two and zero, oh, um, having right. won nine games last year. West Virginia will start the season with a ridiculous amount of buzz. They have a chance to dismantle an SEC team. Granted, yeah, it's Tennessee, They'll whatever. Win by 10. Walking in. They'll win by 10? Tennessee's oh, not. Bill, I thought, 
I thought I was. I thought oh, I was the one taking taking the West Virginia. How the hell apart. seriously am I supposed to be taking West Virginia right now? Like, am I supposed to be thinking of them as a top fifteen team or something? It's Tennessee. Like, they would have been relegated to the MAC. Like, Sun Belt. Okay, and then no, I think at this point the Sun Belt would be like, nah, we're good. We got app. Um. Anyway, I I thought I was the one who was wait. I, I thought I drew the card where it said downplay West Virginia's national championships. Oh man, I, I, mean, I, I got that card laminated last year. Um, Tennessee, wait, they're only going to beat Tennessee by ten points. Uh, well, maybe maybe fourteen. Um, what hell? How? Tennessee still got talent. I mean, they're not they're not going to be all that good this year, but they're still going to yeah, be. How many times I've heard that? Well, yeah, wow. and I mean, how many times have they gotten – their problem was losing close games through the years, not not losing to West Virginia by 25 or something. Like, I, hmm. So they're going to beat Tennessee. Uh, if the expectation is they're going to send Tennessee back to a different planet because they humiliate them so much, then they're going to have had a disappointing win over Tennessee. And then they're probably – they're going to have beaten Youngstown State. NC State will be two and zero, having won two blowouts, uh, and again they were nine and two le- or nine and four, I, I think, last year. Uh, and they re- lose a whole bunch on their defensive line. They return basically everybody else outside their defensive line, so their offense is going to be real good. Uh, their offense is going to have Ryan Finley in a really good passing game. Um, I, I, I'm not saying they're going to lose to nc state but i'm trying to figure out why they're supposed to be favored at nc state at nc state jesus um i am gonna find a way to text dana uh holgerson in the next two days um he's already he's already basically apparently according to a a twitter user he's already quoted my five factors and then said this guy probably doesn't know shit about football but so (gasps) i mean that supposedly, I can't when remember. Who said that. Wait, 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 wait. Finish the butt. Did he re, did he reinforce it? Well, no, he, he basically reinforced the five factors idea, and then had and then pointed. But out then that started with this guy doesn't know shit about football. Well, that that was at the end. Like he probably doesn't know anything about football, but he this is a good idea. I think was the oh. general concept. Ooh, wow! I don't remember who told me that, but anyway, we got a off, um, we got a we got an off the record storyline developing with PAPN. I'm going to get to the bottom of this, and then I'm going to have Dana on this show. And because look, that's fine. That's fine. Dana. I, Dana got to end zone dance on me in a bar one time for, for SB Nation. Assi- <laughs> By the way, I'm going to say it like this. SB Nation assigning me the Georgia Southern in bed. Okay. Hey, 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 hey. You were all in on that Georgia Southern no, in bed. No, I just do what I'm told. Um, mm-hmm. And, oh, man, he, he had a, uh, a long and hearty laugh over some Bud Light uh, at my expense, uh, which is fine because but again, there's really no I- defending. There's really no, they didn't score a point in that game. It was so bad. Bring him- Bring them, bring them on the show, and I will t- say everything I just said that they can beat NC State, but I'm saying they won't be favored at NC State. Bill Connolly's trying to fight Dana. This is not going. This is. Eesh. And then I have them wow. projected as slight underdogs to Texas at Texas Tech and at Iowa State too. So no, Thanks I can't really. Question, coach. Doug Zerjal, you've now created the, uh, you've you've now created a meme. You've created a rift, apparently. Anyway, wow. you got heat with Dana. I don't even look, man. I am nothing but complimentary of Mississippi I, State, and those fans hate me. I, I, I enjoy Dana Holgerson teams greatly. I'm just confused about what I'm supposed to be expecting from them all of a sudden. Anyhow. Oh, wow. Uh, just go ahead and get this one out of the way. Justin Moore asks, hashtag save and or. <laughs> save and or the number of podcasts in the next year where you don't miss, mention Wisconsin. Well, we already did this week. Yep. Uh, that would be saving because it'll be greater than zero. Um, it's not our fault. You guys give us the questions. Wisconsin has a great fan base. A lot of them listen to our show. It's not my problem. 
Also, occasionally someone just puts puts in ask PAPN and then doesn't put a question in. I don't know if they like if they were shot or something. I don't know. What I think that's there. They, I think that's where they 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 tweet something uh, and then realize they didn't use the hashtag, so they use that. So if we cl- if you click on that, it'll probably it's probably in response to a question that they asked in another tweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don Hensman. Sabinor, here's another, here's a Sabinor that doesn't make me, you know, mad. Steve Gherkin at Steve G Gherkin. This was back on June 21st, but we didn't use it. Uh, Sabinor season. Uh, so Sabin national titles or seasons. Willie Fritz coaches at Kansas. Uh, oh, now zero. Uh, Sab- Sabin national titles. One thing that did happen that we didn't discuss was Jeff Long is the new athletic director at Kansas. <laughs> yeah. Do By the, the way, do you know the two unemployed head coaches he's most connected with right now? Brett Bielema two? and Les Miles. Oh, Les Miles, right, right. <laughs> I, it was it was funny to me. Good luck. It's funny to me that like the Brett Bielema marriage didn't work out well for him but we still all just assume he's going to hire Brett Bielema at his new job. I don't think that, but I do think that he, I think Jeff Long favors a certain style of coach. That's not going to yeah. come over well in that conference. That, that I will, that I will be, you know, that's, that's the one progressive thing. Yeah, hire, just, the out of the box thinking. Nope, 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 nope. It's going to be Michigan made, bah, bah, big dog power control. Bah, Basically, the personification of a grunt was what will be hired at Kansas. Sorry. Hey, I mean, you know, Willie Fritz runs the ball. Maybe he can. No, our know. dream is dead, which is probably no, really the best for Willie, honestly. Like, there are other jobs. Right. I mean, basically, we all just kind of like he's, he's, you know, not 40 years old anymore. He needs a power conference job. And, hey, they'll be hiring. But I would like to think he could do better than that. No, but it's like I've seen that. Like, as soon as Jeff Long got hired, we saw like. It was preordained. Like, is it just a given now that Kansas will hire Brett Bielema? I mean, sure, maybe, but that's it, it's weird that we're just going to assume it. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think Brett Bielema ends up at Kansas. I do think that um, it's going to be something that fits about as poorly as Brett Bielema in Kansas, or I'm sorry, Brett Bielema in Arkansas. Speaking of, I wanted to drop this in. We were talking about Nebraska and, and sort of factors and time and that kind of stuff. Um, I have to develop a couple talk radio answers when I go, and I'm pretty much done with show promotion. So, ooh, I got to talk about the show in a second. Um, Arkansas and Nebraska, not going to have good years. I think by the time Thanksgiving rolls around, you are going to see shades. You're going to see enough shades of what's to come where you're going to have really, really exciting off seasons. And also, I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility for either to make a bowl. So, you know, small victories. You haven't done the SEC yet, so I know you always want to abstain from commentary on these kind of things. Yes. I just like it. I, I, I really, really, really like the hire of Chad Morris to Arkansas. Um, and they have they have a path, I will say. I mean, I, I just did, I did Fayetteville Radio this morning, so I've got Arkansas in my brain. And um, I've been ducking they have a things. path to three and a, uh, to six wins. Like yeah, they play uh, Ole Miss, Tulsa, like two non-conference, e- pretty easy non-conference games at home. They play at Colorado state. If they lose that one, they aren't bowling. Uh, but if they win that one, I mean, there's a pretty clear path to six and six for him. Go on that trip. Hoggies. You'll have fun. Um, Don Hinsman asks what schools currently have the worst coach athletic director relationship. Hashtag SPP. 
Oh, this is a tough one. When, I, when he first asked that question last night, I thought he said, like, uh, head coach, athletic director, like, combination. Uh, and that, that, that felt no. mean, but relationship is more interesting. Um, that's a really tough one to answer. Um, they're out there a lot of the, sometimes it's super vague. Sometimes you don't find out about some of this stuff until well after the fact. Um, I think what you've seen, like we just talked about Jeff Long and Brett Bielema. Uh, I think more often than, than not, you see situations where like the ADs kind of made their bed and, and, and they're forced to lie in it with their current bad head coach. Right. Um, uh, Okay, so there's situations, there's coaches we've talked about previously that we, we expect people to be moving on with. So I don't think it's fair to say that, for instance, like David Beatty, everyone says is going to get fired this year from Kansas. I don't do you think, think do it's you fair think he's, to say. Do you think Jeff Long has talked to David Beatty yet, by the way? <laughs> sorry. Sorry, sorry. I think, anyway. I, I think it's about a, a, a super brief introduction. I'll put <laughs> hey, it that way. Good luck this fall. Yep. Good luck. Uh, I will see you around Halloween. No way. Did I just say that? Sorry. Never mind. Um uh, I can tell you the ones that have great relationships and I'm not trying to be coy, but again, it's very hard to find out the specifics of these relationships until after the fact, I will say, um, what's here's a, right, here's one that just feels, um, uh, informed in feeling, uh, Bobby Petrino in Louisville mm-hmm. with what's gone on there. It's going to be tenuous at best. Um, Mike Leach of Washington state's probably a little weird right now. Too, oh, damn. We'll there's my number one. But he has it again. We're, we're, right. I've been on vacation. It's a little rusty. But again, he he went nine and four last year. He hasn't lost yet. We assume this is going to be a bad year, but he hasn't had a bad year. Yeah, you're yet, still so. you're still doing that devil's advocate thing. That dude is so DOA. Um, <laughs> uh, new, uh, Bob Davey in New Mexico. Um, is does he have a bad relationship, or does he have a great relationship, and that's why he still has a job? Hmm. I, I I think it's the latter. I think he'd have gotten fired in a lot of places, but he has a great relationship with his AD. I think the more that they continue to press on that, it's <laughs> probably not as good a relationship as he had in like, you know, last September, but I think it, it, yeah. I won't say Kalani Sataki because, um, everything, the few things I've ever heard about Sataki is that he's a, he is great to work with. I think he has a great relationship with the, with the people that he's assigned to work under at BYU. I just think that the, the that's more of a, like he's Sataki's name is starting to show up on like the, this hot seat stuff. I just think that's just PYU. Not he just, an, well, he just he made BYU. a terrible offensive coordinator hire. Is basically yeah, the, I, I get that, but like also BYU is expecting something that's never going to happen unless BYU changes some major BYU things. Um, I'm not yeah. going to get back on that boat today. Yeah, yeah, um, we've argued that. Oh, here's one. Here's one. Paul okay. Johnson. Yeah, forever and always. Forever, especially and always. with a new athletic director. Isn't there AD pretty new? Yeah. What about Missouri and Barry Odom? I mean, he did one six games in a row last year. I think he's, you know, let's put it, well, let's put it this way. Everything's fine with Barry Odom and Jim Sterk right now. Mm-hmm. Um, don't start one and five again. Okay. Let's, let's just, let's put it that way. Like everything's fine right now, but Sterk, I think did with some of his comments last year, say that like, we're not going to put up with some three and nine seasons here. So, right. Like he, he's, he, he did a hell of a job last year over the last half after doing a terrible job the first half of the year, but, um, everything's fine as long as he doesn't, you know, do something really terrible again. Um, Matt Wells needs to do better at Utah state. Yeah. I've defended him a lot, but eventually you do have to win those close games. Mike Sanford's in a particular situation in Western Kentucky. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying it's time. Uh, I'm just saying that that that's one. Some of these I can only say like a certain thing 
Um, what about Mike McIntyre? What do you? You know what? My, Mike McIntyre is a really weird situation to me because returned Colorado to momentary relevance. Momentary, Fat. yes. <laughs> How long can can in any situation Colorado maintain relevance? Period. Right. If they're on an obvious decline, we'll know pretty quickly. Is that something you blame Mac, Mike, Mike McIntyre for? He interviewed for a couple other jobs this offseason. Um, Old Miss circled him for a minute. Uh, he comes off the Cutcliffe tree. Um, I think they. I think honestly, what hurt McIntyre there was just that if you want whatever it is that Cutcliffe gave Ole Miss in terms of steadiness, you got it in Matt Luke. Um, good coach, nice guy. Um, had a controversy with the assistant coach and the um, abused woman. Uh, <sighs> really weird. Colorado, oh. it just nothing about what they've done the last 25 years says that they want to be the ruthless top 20, top 15 destination oh. program that that this like dwindling group of fans thinks they should be. So I don't know, man. Also, I think they suffered for the move to the Pac-12. It's so funny. I just constantly yeah, they, was, they were they were suffering massively before that. Yeah, so I don't think that's. Really I'm not done saying that's the only pro- the only problem, the only factor. Um, uh, I think there's a couple interesting ones to watch, uh, but again, this just goes back to the hot seat in general. Um, I think b- bottom line is this: unless you are a ten win coach coming off of multiple ten win plus seasons, if you get a new AD and you're floating anywhere around the six win range. I think it just it, it's it, it's a, a a weird feeling. I think it, it just the confidence sort of leaves you. Um, Major Apple, why did Houston needs to have a good year? Right? Yeah. But I feel like we just did this segment where we start talking about yeah. all of the people that are leaving. Um, I would look for the same situation to occur at Maryland. Um, you know. I think this just again boils down into a hot seat conversation. Um, and a lot of the coaches in the hot seat, it's like I said at the beginning of this question, I think people are sort of married to each other Ed Orgeron and Joe Oliva at LSU. That's a great example yeah. there. Um, you know, uh, Lovey Smith and I forget the, the athletic director, yeah, whatever name. his name is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, that was that Remember the, the really bizarre timing on that hiring there. Um, it's hard to say. It's hard to hey, say. Speaking of Paul Johnson, God, I'm really bad at this. Uh, Josh Brundage, uh, with Paul Johnson expected to quote unquote retire in the next one to three years, could you see Georgia Tech as a feasible landing spot for Gus Malzahn if his perennial hot seat catches up with them at the same time? Well, sure. I mean, if, if the timing works out in that way, that's um, as he said, the offense would certainly translate slash transition at Tech, but would anything else? Um, I, I really now that the ideas have been planted in my head, that's a second. I want to see Paul Johnson retire and Lane Kiffin take the job. Like that's just to, to, to kind of blow my own mind. That's what I want to see uh, just to witness the transition of that. I think that would just be hilarious. Georgia tech is probably one of the top jobs that I hear about in an, like a case study. Um, uh, how do I say this? Like coaches sort of playing, you know, how we on podcasts and, editorial content on websites and yada, yada. Like we, we sort of play around with like kind of the what ifs and the hypotheticals. Um, Georgia tech. I constantly hear about from coaches that aren't necessarily like would even be considered for that job, but just people that are just kind of like spitballing ideas because of all we've talked about this on the show, location, uh, power five affiliation, location, 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 location. 
Um, it just needs uh, it needs an overhaul in athletic department oversight and fundraising and facilities. Um, but the unlike other schools in those situations, they have enough talent locally and enough of a draw to where you could win incrementally as you build out a 10-year plan for overhauling Bobby Dodd, uh, getting some sort of some sort of building something underway. I know it's a landlocked urban campus. They, they have a lot of issues there, but I'm just saying like something because um, you have to be building something to show progress. It's a stupid thing, but it's just really yep. sort of the rule. That I don't see construction cranes. I'm going to throw a fit. Right. Yeah. So I think all of those things are possible. And I think sleeping giant, that might be too much, but formidable upper middle class team that can reach up and bite, bite at the ankles of Florida state and Clemson. Totally. Yeah. And, and I don't think you have to run the option. They've done, to do that, it. They've done that under Paul Johnson. So. Yeah, exactly. But, and I don't think you have to run the option to do that. I think you can recruit elite athletes. Um, I mean, I understand all the reasons why you don't have to, I don't want to get any people in my mentions because occasionally you do get those weird option purists or like, there's nothing We're, weird about Georgia Tech has <laughs> Georgia Tech does have a like a particular I would say minority group now of fans that that still really stump for him because um, it's all it's seductive that's the most seductive seductive offense in football it's um it's so much fun to watch when it's working so I mean I I, well, I think you get that in you and 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 you start to you always kind of crave it a little bit but um but anyway, the, it would be from a pure transition standpoint, going to a Malzahn type offense. It makes a lot of sense, but it just, you don't, I don't think at this point you hire Malzahn because of his offense. You hire him because he would recruit like crazy. I mean, um, yeah, you just, well, I think, I think you, if you're, if you're Georgia tech, let's get serious about this for a second. Why are you trying to bring on a coach with that kind of uh, fiscal weight? It's that that's the number one reason it wouldn't yeah. happen because Malzahn would have to take such a substantial pay cut that I don't think he would do it. Well, and also, and, and he would he have would three to four years of work, capital W work, where he's not competing against the best in the nation, right? They all want to work and go crazy and, and you know, work 7,000-hour weeks and all this stuff because they think they're – well, in Auburn's case, they are. They're among the elite, and they think that if I just – I have as much as Alabama does or whomever, like I can work my ass off and we can get better. He wouldn't be in that position for three to four to five years. I think that would almost be an amazing thing for him. Like I, I think he's run into problems at time at Iowa because there are certain – or at Auburn. Iowa, what the hell? Uh, at Auburn because um, there are certain guys you just have to recruit. Like to, you, you got to keep up with Alabama and you got to recruit certain guys, uh, and those guys haven't always fit what he probably wants to do. I think if he goes to Georgia tech and he doesn't have to compete with Bama for recruits and he can just go out and find his guys, I think that would be incredible. He would still recruit well, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't recruit as well. I think that would suit him just fine. Uh, I think that would be a great spot for him, but again, he's still Auburn's head coach and he's still doing really well. And and he's probably going to continue to be Auburn's head coach. I think you have to find uh, this is horse before the cart. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. our cart before the horse. I'm sorry. I think you, you have to go out and find dynamic leadership in the athletic department. I think you go and find a deputy AD and assistant AD, someone who's young, dynamic and fundraising oriented, and then give them control of the situation at Georgia tech. Start there, then get a young head coach. And then and then commit and and hunker down because you do have to strip off some of the option problems if you're going to change that roster to a different offense. So here's a transition question we just um, from uh, from a Georgia Tech fan who's given us a lot of questions. Joey Weaver at FTRS Joey, 
Georgia Tech was a, and this is this spins in a completely different way, and he's not wrong. Uh, Georgia Tech was a bad bounce away from winning at Miami, beat Virginia Tech, had a double-digit lead in three other losses, and brings back a ton of production. The eye test says defensive scheme was the biggest issue, uh, backed up by blown leads. Should they be considered a legit sleeper? Now, sleeper is a different conversation, but um, Georgia Tech wasn't. Georgia Tech had a new quarterback and uh, young skill core. Yeah, and bad defense for the most part. Uh, well, really, by by Paul Johnson's stand, standards, not really all that bad a defense, but uh, inefficient defense. And they returned their almost their entire offense this year. They he made a what what I think we both consider a pretty inspired. He, he plucked the Appalachian State tree for his defensive coordinator. I, I I'm not going to predict. Pre- Predict that Georgia Tech's going to win the ACC or anything, but if we're just talking sleepers, p- teams that people aren't talking about that could end up making a run that w- we'd look back and think, well, I guess that wasn't that surprising. I'm not going to write them off. They get Miami at home. Uh, they get Duke and well, they're not going to be Clemson, but they get Duke and, and Virginia at home as well. There are some built-in wins here if they can beat Pittsburgh to start the season in, co- in non-conference or in conference play. I think it's going to be another Paul Johnson season. There's, so, a ceiling, there's a floor and a ceiling. So the ceiling's the orange bowl. So I, the, I, I, I'm not going to like, I, guess, I, I, I will yeah. always defend. I don't know if that ceiling exists anymore. I, but okay. I will always, we didn't think it does existed before then either. Like I will always defend his ceiling. Uh, he obviously doesn't, uh, you only hit your ceiling so much. And the last couple of years have been very, very, very mediocre. He's got a high was, ceiling. How good, was and how good was Florida state and how good was Miami and how, like to me it's, I think, it's the shape of things to come with the conference, but yeah, I, um, that, that, that first run, that Oh nine run, all of that is completely legit, but he made this run in 2014 when Florida state was yes. still good. Uh, when, uh, when I agree with you on that was yes. getting yeah, better. So, yeah. Getting that, was only, that was three seasons ago. So not that far removed. I think that was it. Uh, Jonathan Miklos, uh, oh, going, that, was, that was where I was going next. He's flooding the lane here. I, know. Um, I, I can do two of these pretty, pretty fast. Uh, the one I can do the fastest is, do you guys ever see a scenario in which a team could get kicked out of a P5 conference like the Big East kicked out Temple? Um, if so, by the way, it's funny, Temple's in the AAC now, so they didn't get kicked out of the Big East. <laughs> uh, if so, who would be the favorites to get the boot? Um, the closest this ever came in the modern age was Baylor in Big 12 a couple right. years ago. Um, yep. It never materialized because Baylor basically um, saw it as an even a even a, a a a potential option on the table for the membership of the Big Twelve, and before it could even come to that, they made sure that they cleaned house and yep. pretty much did everything they they could humanly possible to appease the membership of the conference. Um, a lot of people, myself included, believe that Baylor's. Um, scandal and controversies and firings and all that is what was really the reason why the big 12 um, put on the charade of expansion considerations. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tend to believe that I'm working okay. on something um, that might back that up. Uh, we'll see. But uh, so that's the closest they've ever come. Now, do I see a scenario in which a team can get kicked out of a P five conference? Um, no, I don't. You would need, um, so here's what you would need to happen, and this is very rare. 
Um, so take Baylor because it will ha- it would have to be a Baylor situation in which you have a moral outrage on a large national scale against the actions of multiple people in power in a program. You got all that so far? Then you would need a period of multiple denials and, and then subsequent uh, revelations. And so what I mean by that is – you have athletic directors and coaches and multiple people, multiple staffers and positions of power involved in a moral scandal. I'm not talking about paying players. Like, it's not going to work. I'm going, oh, Miss. No, no way. USC, no way. Even Miami. It would have to be something like the sexual assault scandal at Baylor. You would then have to have a denial, um, essentially a cover-up, and then a subsequent uh, another investigation, be it from the media internally, whatever, where those people were found out to be lying, almost a cascade of denial, lie, denial, lie, denial, expose, et cetera, to where it's obvious that there truly was a systemic culture and it would, it, it, all of that bill. And then on top of that, you would also need to have it truly damage the, the public perception of the conference itself, which is why, as unstable as the Big 12 has been, I think it would almost have to happen in the Big 12. Well, I, I basically, everything you just said, I would also add a very cynical uh, extra if in that it could only happen to certain teams within each conference. Oh, without a if it, doubt. If it happened yeah. to Ohio State or if That's it happened to Michigan. Very good point. You're right. Never, never yeah. happened. Ohio have to State, be yeah, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, USC, Florida, Florida State. Like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, let's, well, let's put it this way. In a way, this wasn't not necessarily football, uh, but in a way, everything you just mentioned happened at Michigan State. Nobody's talking about kicking Michigan State out of the Big Ten. That's a good point. Um, Jonathan's other question I can do fairly. Let me let me add one quick thought to that. The Big East kicked out Temple. Big East was really young. Big East was like 15 years old when Temple happened. ACC is not kicking anybody out. Temple Uh, also had a financial situation that was essentially college sports bankruptcy. They were all they were always the biggest risk that the Big East took on in that conference. Um, That's just that that type of scenario doesn't really exist anymore um, because of the television revenue propping everyone up. Um, Jonathan also says, "Can I get an honest explanation as to why some experts believe UF, talking about Florida, is going to make a bounce back?" Did they magically find a quarterback that they kept secret as Mullen developed all these recruits that Shark Lover couldn't? Um, I don't think they're going to bounce back um, this year. I don't think they're going to bounce back next year. I think the fundamental um, – I, I think fundamentally the landscape's changed, and I do believe right now that – and this is – I'm bordering on dumb talk radio here – that Georgia is now the premier program in that conference. Um, Tennessee is going I haven't to really- – sort of a dead end for a while but um i don't think florida is going to fall into obscurity um i just don't know if i think what jonathan's asking and i don't know if jonathan's a gator fan or not i think what gator fans are asking when they talk about this bill is that they want to know whether or not it's going to be urban meyer redux and i don't believe that that's going to happen well i mean he's some experts it sounded like him this year and I, i i haven't really seen anybody making that prediction for this year um like long term i mean hell yeah they could bounce back i mean dan mullen put a top 15 20 program on the field at at mississippi state he could do top 10 at uh at florida now i mean it does look like kirby smart's going to do top three at georgia so Mm -hmm. top 10 won't get you to the top of the east very much but i think i mean he was a very sound logical hire and he could work out really well but i i if, if we're talking about this year i don't really think i've seen anybody suggest that 
that they're going to be amazing this year. So Extremely I don't early returns on recruiting are as such that everyone's talking about Mullen's inability to recruit XYZ premier elite athlete. One, it's July, calm down. And two, let this shake out over time. Because one of the things you do at Florida yeah. exceptionally well is that you hire the best assistant coaches in the nation and you hire the best Floridian assistant coaches. And I would expect to see some changeover in the next couple of years as is totally normal. I would, I expect to see the same thing at Florida state um, as, as the recruiting battle really kind of shakes out between those two schools. We don't really know what we're seeing yet between Taggart and Mullen. Uh, culturally, they couldn't be more different. So uh, I'm interested in that Florida schedule real fast, a uh, scrub game to start Charleston Southern. And then, they get Kentucky at home, Colorado State, man, just all over the SEC this year. They're going to Gainesville, of course, because Florida explodes if they cross the west right. of the Mississippi. Um, at Tennessee, at Mississippi State, home versus LSU. There's your swing. Yep. I give Tennessee a better chance against Florida than I do against West Virginia. I, I, I possibly. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why? Because West Virginia is better than Florida. <laughs> West Virginia one. West Virginia is better than Florida. Neutral site game week one. Number two, from what I've been able to learn about Jeremy Pruitt in a short amount of time, they're going to die on that hill. They are going to treat September 22nd like it's the end of the season. Because if Jeremy Pruitt, stay with me, can beat Florida in his first season, <laughs> the equity will stockpile. He will have patience and reverence that he doesn't deserve and he probably won't be able to hold on to but he will build something there in the immediate first year like like right at the beginning in the outset that Dooley couldn't that jones couldn't it's going to change the complexion of that program it's not going to be real it's going to be an illusion but that's what they need right now i'm not saying they're going to beat florida i'm just saying they're going to go all in in a way in which you've never seen before <laughs> And then the next, but again, if you get back to the Florida side of that, at Tennessee, at Mississippi State, LSU at home, um, there's your swing right there, man. That's a team that could be on an zero and three run, going to Vanderbilt and Nashville. Just want to throw yeah, that I, out there. I, that's a team that also, that's a team that also could be undefeated, going to Vanderbilt and then have a bye before they go to the cocktail party. Totally believe I, they're going to be three and zero, and then they're either going to be three and three or six. Yeah, I, I mean, I. I don't see them winning at Mississippi State, but I mean they could still that could still be five and one or six and one heading to the cocktail party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. So yeah, but six and one going into going into the cocktail. Party. No, I, if I had to if, if I had to put money on it right now, Mississippi State beats them by like two touchdowns. Yeah, Mississippi State's a definitively better football team as 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 Dan Mullen probably has figured out at this exact moment in time. It's gonna be but, no. I mean they're gonna have Jordan Scarlett back. They're gonna have like their entire offensive line back. They'll be pretty good this year. But uh, they're they're gonna probably be better than Tennessee this year. They play at Tennessee, so maybe UT wins that game anyway. That's my thing. Oh, I didn't say they were. I didn't say Tennessee was a no, better no, no, team. I, I they I are just, in fact. Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they're 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 going to be a pretty good team this year. Uh, you know, if that means top forty, they'll probably win about seven games. That's fine. When, when you do when you do what Florida did last year, uh, seven and five sounds pretty good at least once. I mean, it might be a seven and five season. Yeah. Eight and four is what I would kind of bank on. Uh, this is another one we can answer pretty quickly. Uh, Solus at Wolverine Butter. Uh, how I can love that. How can my dream come true to have North Dakota State become a member of the Big Ten? Are we, are we talking nuclear fallout, or are we just actually trying to make this happen in this plane of existence minus yeah. nuclear war? I mean, 
go to the Mac first. Like I, I'm almost yeah, ready at this I mean, point. Like, yeah. Hey, North Dakota state, like, congratulations. You're a major pro. Like, come on, let's go. Let's go. The let's Mac see is how not letting North Dakota state in. There's no hey, way. They let Mac Marshall in. They let no. Marshall in. <laughs> Correct. You know what? Yeah. Again, they're not letting North Dakota state in. They do not want to let someone in who's going to whoop their ass. They learn. Hey, this look what the Sun Belt had to do with App State and Georgia Southern. If Southern, if Southern makes one coaching hire it, it, different after Willie Fritz leaves, it's still Georgia Southern and App State, right? Oh, I know there are other, bad? No, I just think I, I think when you you know the schools in these lower tier conferences don't like carry the kind of clout and power the way like you're all sitting around the the table at the SEC or the Big Ten, but like if you're the Mac. Why the hell do you want to add North Dakota State? What do they give you? They're awesome. Because they're awesome. I think they're fantastic. But I'm saying if I'm sitting in Bowling Green or I'm in at Northern Illinois, what do they give you? They give you nothing except an ass whipping. The worst thing, hey, the worst thing you can be in college football is poor, rural, and good. Because that Fargo's combination not, is not attractive Fargo's to not anyone. Rural, thank you very much. What's that? Fargo's not rural. You can ask anyone from North Dakota, and I say this as a southerner who's lived in very rural areas. The perception of North Dakota as rural is would permeate, especially across sure. the majority of Mac schools, which are in highly populated Ohio and Michigan. Yeah. I, so I, ask, I, I, ask I, I, your I, I, average I, I, person living in a suburb of Cleveland or Cincinnati or Detroit if North Dakota is considered rural. And also, what are you getting from a television perspective? You got to send your rowing team and your volleyball team there. It's the same old shtick. I love North Dakota. Get, they'll probably get beat too because North Dakota State has its action. You should together. just join the QSA. It couldn't get any weirder. Oh, oh, man. I'm fine with that too. But that's like, yeah, that's, let's move up. Let's, we, we, you've, the problem you is do. they're too good. Hey, everybody. Thanks for inviting me. We brought murder. Uh, I don't dish. see that as a bad. I don't. The Sun Belt is better because they added Georgia uh, Southern and Appalachian State. And I think I, I totally agree with you, but I don't think that people inside the MAC are going to want that. Yeah. They're not going to want to route their football worthiness through North Dakota. It's <laughs> wrong. All be better off for it. So I think I totally agree with you, but I'm just telling you what they're going to do. Uh, one more bill, and then we got to go. Daddy's back on the road talking oh, right. to it's, mole football coaches and stuff. You want to pick it? Um, Last one. No pressure. Okay. Um, our friend Josh Black, Joshua B. Black hey, uh, on Twitter. Hey, buddy. Um, if Auburn had won the SEC championship last year, they would have been the first two-loss team in the CFP. So with that in mind, what's the point in Auburn playing a quality out-of-conference opponent? If, if losing to Clemson on the road – or is losing to Clemson on the road better than beating a G5 at home? No. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to. Uh-uh. Don't I'm do trying it. To, I'm trying to figure out the motivation of the question a little bit. So basically, like, the, to me, they proved last year, like, you could, they would have probably made the CFP as a two loss SEC champion. So that well, being that's the case, situational. why wouldn't you? That's situational. I yeah, think, I, I mean, applies to like six SEC teams, and then the rest of the country is going to be worried about uh, resume. Okay, I do think. Well, but I mean, if you if you win the SEC, that among other things, that means you beat Bama, and so like that, I think that cancels out. There's, there's like five or six teams that could even dream of doing that and winning the league. Well, at the sure, same time. but I mean, yeah. and then in every other conference, you're going to try and schedule as hard as you can. Um, so if you're Auburn, I'd say don't do it. 
I would like you to do it because I like those games and it's fun to see Auburn play good football teams. But if I'm Auburn, what I would do is like you had a home and home against K state and K state carries a certain level of respect and not the same level of athleticism that Clemson does. So you can win that game. That's my advice. I hate to be myopic because we very much are in total support of great one-on-ones between great programs at every level, especially in the beginning of the season. Get out of the neutral sites. Go back to your home campuses. Celebrate college football the way it should be. But if you're Auburn, I don't understand it. It's even stranger for me for the schools that have the uh, the ACC, uh, like the quality ACC final opponent, like, like South Carolina scheduling the neutral site kickoff against North Carolina State, you have to run yeah. through the SEC and then play Clemson. Play Clemson yeah. year. Same goes for Florida, which Florida, since what, the beginning of time, has always just beat the shit out of somebody in, from the FCS for like the first week or two and then gone about the conference schedule. They play Florida State. So if you're Auburn... And Alabama is what it is and kind of shall be what it what it shall be. Yeah. I think Florida fans are going to get mad at you. It's, Sir, Why? we only play FCS teams the week before Florida State. They're starting the season against an FCS team this year. I was like Eastern Kentucky back in the day and whatnot. That's why I was going for If that. you're Auburn, I wouldn't I – would, don't go against the AAC either. Here's my advice to Josh and the rest of the Auburn community because you don't want to bring in a good AAC yeah, team. Punch, like punch way down if you're going to punch down. Yeah, I was saying like don't don't get anybody who's trying to like have their miracle moment. Don't bring in Houston. Don't bring in Cincinnati. Don't, don't bring, bring in, in Georgia Southern. Oh, sorry. No, um, uh, no. All joking aside, I would bring in a weaker. I would bring in a weaker P five. Do man, what's Wake Forest doing? I don't know. Hey, they're pretty good. Um, no, I right, you know to me, like, and then you yeah. have a win over like a pretty good seven or eight win team from the ACC. No, I will just say just overall like. I, an SEC team is never going to have to worry about having a truly awful non-conference schedule hold them back, especially if they go thirteen and or twelve and one or thirteen and zero. Um, but like, it's the Auburn, only time I've ever, for the record, it's the only time I've ever told anyone to punch down on scheduling. But I, I mean, I just to me, Auburn proved last year that they can make the playoff while losing to Clemson. Like that's like they proved it. They would have almost certainly made the playoff last year. Um, so but, but like, I, I think they're kind of like, why do it? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, I, why, you know, at that point, you're just doing it for like, for having a good non-conference game because it, it didn't end up making Here's the other difference. thing worth mentioning. Here's the other thing worth mentioning. And Josh, I, th- I think this is also getting it at Auburn's point. We just said Georgia's going to be Georgia for for a while, right? We think we think that that's safe to say, correct? It's certainly. You play in Georgia in November. You play Alabama in November. You likely play Georgia again if you're able to get to Atlanta. So playing Georgia twice and playing Alabama is about all the resume you need. Right. If yeah, we, you're if always going to finish strong. Yeah. Right. So you have a better springboard in November than anyone in the country does mm-hmm. if you are Auburn. So don't get into a, a massive battle in September. I think it's fine. Yeah, except last year, if you get the itch and you just want to have bragging rights over somebody nearby, last year proved you can do it and and you'll be fine. So, schedule a three for three with uh, Tulane. Go have you a New Orleans trip on Labor Day weekend. Oh yeah, everybody, everybody, go schedule Tulane. And on that note, angry wave.